This is called Mesachina. It means moonlight. This year, we explore the theme of romance. Nema Vishe Meseta. No more moonlight. <laughs> you hear the sloppy horns? That's very Serbian, this calculated sloppy horns. Nema Tebe, Nema Mene. No more you, no more me. <laughs> yeah. Sounds very Jewish, too, I always thought. Which, you know, resonates with me, being Jewish. It's to be very heart-rending. It's important to be heart Everything has to come from the soul, the dusha, the soul. You hear that word over and over again in Serbia, in Bosnia. Dusha, dusha, moja. Okay. Me sechina, me sechina, yoy, 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 Soon sesia, soon sesia, yoy, 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 Listen to that. Nikoneznam, no one knows. Nikoneznam, 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 Snap. And then listen to these horns. <laughs> and the, the Serbs just love this. They love it. And why shouldn't they? You know? It's fantastic. Radio Netherlands presents From Brooklyn to Banja Luka. Okay, for instance, if a guy is really sad and he really wants to show the world that he's alive, gets drunk, and then he goes and finds himself a gypsy bed and pays them, and then he runs through the streets with a bottle of, of rakia, which is this plum brandy, very strong. This is following him. Ah, look at me, I'm alive. I'm insane, I'm alive. Look at me, drink, drink my rakia with me. The whole world hates us. <laughs> but we're wonderful. And they are. And the whole world doesn't hate them, but they have a Jew complex. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You'd think the world was persecuting them for 2,000 years. <laughs> and of course it's not. The world doesn't even know where Serbia is. <laughs> the program is produced by Dira Sujan. My name is Jonathan Gruber. I'm uh, 38 years old. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. I've lived in Holland now for 13 years. My name is Dragana Mijatovic. Do I have to tell my age? <laughs> I'm 36, and I'm, uh, I live in Holland since December 92. I met my wife, Dragana Mijatovic, at a party. It was actually oh, exactly 10 years ago, and there was a party filled with happy, great-looking people. And... I was feeling really, really good that day. I felt so good. I don't know. I was going on vacation the next day. I uh, had been working out <laughs> for a brief period of my life. I felt really fit. And I was just feeling really great. It was nice to be surrounded by that. And suddenly around uh, 11 o'clock in the evening, Jonathan came in. Uh, that uh, flamboyant, loud American uh, you know, from I think from the door to the moment he entered till the sofa, wherever he was heading to, 
he made so much noise <laughs> that I could not resist but uh, you know look at him and, and really I saw so much energy and life coming out of him and then the girl who who was giving the party came up to me and said uh, you know I think you have a fan and then indeed I saw this very exotic looking clearly slavic gorgeous girl sitting there high cheekbones long brown hair beautiful body obviously looking at me and he i mean he's beautiful uh, and and then suddenly that these blue eyes and the big smile and open face and so much laughter in in like 10 seconds that i could not believe that people like that existed anymore because i was there still i mean i'm very loud and person that loves to laugh and make noise i'm noisy as well but at that time i was very withdrawn and quiet and focused on Bosnia, on what's happening there. And I was, I think, physically here, but spiritually I was there. And when I saw Jonathan, I saw that energy. And I, it, he reminded me of me centuries ago. And I just wanted to connect myself with that energy and, you know, and have a symbiotic relationship. <laughs> it was amazing how he brought a smile on my face. I was dancing and feeling really great with myself, and she comes up to me, and her first words to me were... Okay, John, I'm sorry. You know, you'd be really handsome if you lost you some weight. You should lose some weight. It was really <laughs> embarrassing, actually. But then he... I think that was a very nice catching line because he stayed, he tried to have a conversation with me. And uh, we just got to talking, discovered we lived on the same street, the Elandsgracht, which is in the, the center of Amsterdam. And I lived at number uh, 37 and she lived at 73. Is that destiny or what? <laughs> so then he said, oh, I'll walk you home. And we went back to my place and we've sort of been together ever since. Ten years now. Ten years. The first time I met his family was uh, really first time I went to the States. John and I were together for one year, and we went there for Christmas. And they were waiting for us uh, at the airport. Um, his father was still alive. He had this tall, beautiful guy with um, with amazing smile. So he's he was the kind of person that immediately warmed you up towards him. And his mom is also, I mean, she's so funny and bigger than life. So it was not really difficult to warm up towards them because they're very loud, very busy, very funny, very entertaining. So even if you yourself didn't have that much to say, they were filling in the gaps. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't really feel uncomfortable or something. They remind me a bit of my family because of that very easy way of communicating with each other and but uh, there's a little difference. I think my mom would never ask me immediately, oh, how was the flight? What did you eat? You know, was the food good on the plane? <laughs> that's Ellie, that's my mother-in-law. <laughs> I think the funny thing about John's family is that we have to talk about the food a lot. And I'm not that into the food. <laughs> so that's kind of interesting that I'm like, okay, we ate something. I mean, and I can't even recall what it was. I think that's the difference. John's family is about the food and my family is about the music and alcohol. Her whole family, they made a plan. They were all going to meet at her aunt's house in Belgrade. And uh, I was nervous. I mean, you'd be nervous about meeting your girlfriend's parents anyway. So I was really nervous about meeting my girlfriend's parents in a very foreign culture, in a, coming from a war zone. I really didn't know what to expect. So we turned up in this little place called Resnik, and we go into this sort of socialist housing apartment building 
and the whole family is there. It's just unbelievable, the greeting that we just got. I mean, it was... Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. They are incapable of calling me Jonathan. The music went on really loud, and everybody started dancing, and it was drinks all around, and it was... And I have to explain to you, I've just come from Holland, where people don't do this. (laughs) They don't do this. It's, hi, nice to meet you, and they'll shake your hand, and if you're lucky, you'll get some coffee and a couple of cookies. I got this was, no, it was, Johnny, 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 wow, well, fabulous to meet you, this is great. Please, sit down, we've prepared this chair just for you. Here, just go go down and sit, and drag it, trying to translate it, and they're crying because they haven't seen their daughter in, what, four years or something like that, so they're crying their eyes out. This is a moment of catharsis that had been building up for four years. They are crying, crying, crying. Everybody is getting drunk. Drinking, drinking, drinking. It's incredible. Then, finally, Dragana tells them, because I I should point out to you, they're musicians. The father is a musician. He made a living playing Serbian folk music. And with his brother, the son went to a conservatory. Knows the entire repertoire, Yugoslav repertoire, can play everything, uh, as well as pop music. So they're musicians. So Dragana says to them, you know, Jonathan can sing. So they all gathered around one side of the table. (laughs) And there I was sitting alone on the other side of the table. And they're all staring at me, going, sing. So what did I sing? I sang the first thing that came to my mind. So dear friends, your love has won. Only tears to dwell upon. I dare not say as the wind must blow So a love is lost, a love is won And they're melting. And they just died and went, Ah, big collective family sigh. It was incredible. The warmth that I felt at that moment was staggering. I don't have superlatives enough to explain how shockingly warm it all was. I was smothered in warmth and kindness. So then, out goes the plum wine again, and we're all drinking our brains out, and we're getting really drunk at this point, and the music is playing loud, and people are standing on their chairs, really standing on their chairs with their arms flown up, with this Yugoslav music playing, with their arms up in the air. The joy was overwhelming. Then the aunt comes home from work. The door bursts open. She sees what's going on, walks over to her table, picks up her own plates, and throws them against the wall and smashes them. Goes, yeah! And starts dancing on a table herself. It's not to be believed. I could not freaking believe it. It was fabulous. I had a vague idea about America. I guess the country of Hollywood and... uh, science and riches. The first time I went to Banja Luka, I was very apprehensive. But it was really actually so far away that I never, never even had a dream of going there. I never even pictured myself that I'll go one day to New York or something. The only way there is you have to drive from Zagreb all the way through to the border, which goes over a river. Buildings riddled with pockmarks of machine gun fire on both sides of the little river. And you step straight into the Orthodox world. My first time in New York was during the Christmas, nine years ago. I saw the pictures and the movies and everything, and I always had an impression, okay, this is the New York skyline and I will like it. But when I went there first time and 
we were in the underground and then we uh, went uh, on, I think, 42nd Street or something up the stairs and, and I looked around me. I almost fainted. And when you get into Banja Luka itself, it's actually quite nice houses. And this is the thing about Bosnia. Bosnia is very nice. I mean... I hyperventilated because I thought it was big, but when I saw it with my own eyes, it was huge. It was immensely beautiful and it was immensely big. So grandiose and wonderful. If people didn't really have what you would call dangerous ideas about each other historically, it's a beautiful place to live. I was I was overwhelmed with beauty. Manhattan is just the most beautiful part of the world I have ever seen. They do have this Slavic perma-frown, as I like to call it, you know, this permanent frown that you see on Slavic faces. Everything in America is bigger and people are spending more, wasting more at uh, it's a very much consumption-oriented society where, you know, everything that you want, even the things that you don't know that you want, you they make you want them or something. It's a very consumption-oriented society. But once you get inside their homes, ah, oh, they're so warm, I mean, in a way that we in the West no longer have. I'm a person that grew up in a country that was somewhere in between two worlds. I mean, we were not really Eastern Bloc, but we were not Western. We were, like, in between. And for me, like... Having so much choice in the supermarket was mind-boggling. Why should I need to choose between 358 sorts of toothpaste? I had such great difficulties in just finding my way around in these big drugstores, supermarkets, or whatever, because it was just too much. I think I could probably live in Bosnia for a little while. And I think I would do it while Lucas is small. I think it's a great place to live if you're a small kid because everybody has big houses and they have big backyards and it's better than Holland in that way. You know, there's lots of space and God, are they so nice to small children. It's a great place to be a small kid. I think that living in America could be an option but only for a limited amount of time. I can see myself living in New York, in Manhattan. I would enjoy it immensely. But But I would not like my son, to become a man there. Living there forever, uh, it's really too far away from home. I mean, you're still uh, across the water. It's a mental barrier that I have. I feel that I'm much closer to home from the Netherlands. I don't want him taking on core Yugoslav, maybe Balkan ideas, because I was raised in the U.S. and I live in, in Western Europe, and... You know, I believe in a secular humanist idea of the world, and that is not what's happening down there. It's a damaged society, and, I, you know, I wouldn't want my son to grow up with that. Does it bother me that Lucas is going to grow up in the Dutch culture? And what do I think about it? Yeah, I gave some thought about it. It is, I mean, first of all, he's an extraordinary kid. I mean, he is very interesting just by uh, default, having... Bosnian mother and uh, American father or Banyaluka mother and Brooklyn father and living in Amsterdam in Holland makes him, you know, per default very special. And he's uh, uh, being brought up in three languages and he's doing it so well that I'm so proud of him. I mean, he's now two and a half years old and he already has a very warm and established connection with Bosnia and with uh, America, with New York and Banyaluka through grandparents, through a little cousin that he has already, that I think that he will carry and merge those three worlds easily. And I always say the kids like Lucas are the hope of this world. I mean, he's going to, in one person, merge 
three different cultures. He's going to be a true international, fluent in three languages and have a great understanding of three different cultures, merge them and make his own world out of it. Him looking more like Bosnian or American or Dutch, behaving more like Bosnian, American, Dutch, doesn't bother me at all. The essence is going to be good. Nobody likes me, everybody hates me. I've got to eat some worms. Eat some worms. Fat one, skinny one, even itty bitty one. Look how the little worms squirm. First you bite the head off, then you suck the blood off, then you throw the rest away. I like to eat worms three times a day. Oi, way! <laughs> that was the first English song I ever learned from the beginning until the end. And Jonathan taught me that. I have no idea why I taught her that song. No idea. Alsacia, Alsacia. Se Alza um tivesse para voar nesta distância. Dragon and I are far more similar than we are dissimilar. We're both really, really big personalities. We both like to be the center of attention. We both come from a background which is very loud and lively and warm, musical, kind of obnoxious people. <laughs> And it is both our curse and our blessing that we're living here in Holland. I have never felt comfortable in Holland, never. I took a Dutch passport primarily because it was a means to an end. I could live in Holland and stay here without having to deal with all the stuff that a foreigner has to deal with, the paperwork. But it also meant to me at the time that I could leave and go to a, a country that was more similar to my character. That is no longer possible, really, because my wife loves it here. She loves Holland. I came here in the most difficult and challenging time in my life. And I think this country, and especially my Dutch friends, helped me so much in the beginning that I really feel very attached to Amsterdam and to living here. And I got used to it as well. I mean, 12 years, it's like one-third of my life I spent here. She thinks the Dutch are great. And I don't think the Dutch are bad. I think the Dutch are good, but I don't think they're great. And when I say that, I'm not referring to them as individuals because, I mean, there's good people and bad people wherever you go. And there are so many things that I appreciate about this country as well. I'm just referring to the national character. I find the Dutch closed. I find them a bit cold, very judgmental. They are quite emotionally detached from each other. And I don't really like the food. I don't like the weather. People are not great talkers. And I'm somebody who was raised on literature and theater and I'm very word-oriented, and the, the Dutch, culturally or not, they're a visual people. They make great paintings, they make great buildings, those kinds of things. Dragana doesn't seem to mind any of this. My family uh, is very important to me, and I'm very important to them, and I can still claim anything when it comes to my parents, my brother, my sister, or my cousins even. And here it's not that much involved in each other's lives. I mean, in our case, it's maybe too much, but because I live... Uh, 1,500 kilometers away from them. I can profit from both worlds. I mean, I have a closeness with my family and I have privacy that Holland offers to you because people call for us, they make appointments, they ask you, may I come around? Uh, do you have time for me? In Boston, it's completely different. They just show up and claim you. And I, I can say I, I like the combination of two things. 
She's very comfortable here. And a lot of really what I think is most attractive for Dragana, I think it's the fact that it's safe and stable. She uprooted herself once in violent circumstances. She's worked very hard. She got her degree here. Holland afforded her a home when she needed it. And she's dead grateful. And she's loyal to it as a result of that. And who can blame her, really? We were living as Yugoslavs. Nobody was really differentiating himself, being a Serb, Croat, a Muslim. Everybody knows this now. But when the war started, suddenly it became very important who and what you are. And I really refused to comply to that. And I promised myself that I will leave Banja Luka in 1992. And I felt, as the oldest child, I felt very responsible for the future of my brother that was three years younger, and my sister was 12 at that time. And my parents were there completely hopeless and scared and afraid. You know, your father can be your hero, and he was always my big dad. But I think at that time he was very frightened and lost, and I was completely going insane. I could not believe it was happening to us. I came, I think, on the Christmas Eve. I see myself as a present to the Dutch for Christmas. I first had to go through the Dutch course, and then uh, from, I think, end of 93 until I got my master's in engineering in September 97, in Dutch and English, because it, you had to write your master's thesis in English, but you had to follow all of the classes in Dutch. And I remember first few weeks uh, um, following the classes wasn't that easy because I had to copy everything from the board because I could not understand one single word. I state my complaints about Holland. I'm more or less shut up about it because I know I'm going to be here for a long time. And let's face it, Holland hasn't been bad to me. I have a really good and interesting job. I have a nice house. I've made, met my wife here, created a beautiful child here. And it is safe and stable. And in many ways, it's very international. So the, the things that the country doesn't hand to me as part of its own culture, I can find if I just go looking for it. So is Holland an awful place? No, by no means. Is it the place where I want to end up when I grow up? <laughs> no way. Can I grow old here? Uh-uh. I cannot grow old in this country. But you might. But I might. I, I have to make, I have to, I might. I have to make my peace with that. It's very simple lyrics. <laughs> Mommy is the best, Mommy is the greatest, Mommy is the most beautiful. He's completely brainwashed. My language is quite difficult, so you have so many cases and so many uh, different ways to um, express yourself. I mean, like any other, other language, but you, because of the cases, like even your name changes depending on the place in the sentence. So it's not uh, Dragana, it's Dragani, Draganu, depending you know what you want to say. So I think Lucas uh, can say in perfect uh, Serbo Croatian a few sentences, and they're all about you know how wonderful his mom is. My mom said that I traveled really far to go and find a woman just like my mom. And that is true. <laughs> I can't deny it. And this is true of all the men in my family. All the Grubers from the history of time have gone and found themselves very strong, very powerful, dominating, big-chested women. 
And this is one of our biggest problems because, you know, my dad was always seriously dominated by my mother, and I always sort of blamed him for that. And now I see it happening to me. And we're constantly fighting as a result of it because I have this pathology. Once I see myself acting like my dad, I then overreact, and it leads to so many fights, and it's really awful. It's probably the worst part of our relationship is our fighting. Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, And there were, like, things about him being American, you know, American loudness and uh, maybe it's a New Yorker thing actually do you know that everything has to be funny and uh, 10,000 jokes in one hour I like that but not that much and that can be also conflicting between us there are things about him being American that are annoying me I am a Slav let's face it we can be very melancholic dramatic and uh, you know it's the dark side of life you know that he doesn't get it I'm really not all that different from her dad, whose name, by the way, is, is the astoundingly and nearly unpronounceable Radivoye. Anyway, he's a big personality, and he's very musical, and we act alike in many ways. You know, we could be big babies, and uh, we're a bit sloppy. Well, Dragana, on the other hand, is a bit prissy. She's all fussy, and people have to have proper behavior, and whereas I'm sloppy, and I'm a messy eater, and... And I'm loud, and I fart, and I belch, and she hates that. She just hates it with, like, an unnatural passion. And I can't do anything about it. It's not just behavior. To a certain extent, it's biology. (laughs) And there's not much I can do about what my body does, you know? We've been married for 10 years. And if I belch in front of her, it's like the first time I ever did in front of her. Like, for 10 years, I've not been belching in front of her. (laughs) <laughs> you know? He's too human for me. And also, I think it's a very cultural thing. In America, it seemed to be acceptable that you do that. I mean, that you belch in front of your wife. Or fart. I can't even say it. It upsets me by saying it. <laughs> it's unacceptable. You can't do that. You can't control your body. I'm telling him over and over again, and he doesn't believe me. For instance, I said, you know, if you have to, like, you know, Fart? You have to leave the room. And then he goes and stands on the door and looks at me and farts. And then I say, you can't do that. You have to leave the house. Go on the balcony. Go downstairs. Go on the street. Go 500 miles away from me. I can't look at you. Uh, yeah. But we love each other anyway. We really love each other intensely and we really can't stand each other intensely. It's, I have to be honest about it. Our relationship is always on the edge of bliss or hell, every hour of every minute of every day. I never know where we're going to be in an hour. I think both of us really believe that we would like to grow old together and die together. I really love her. See, this is the problem. Dragana makes me nuts. And as often as not, I'd like to smack the crap out of her. (laughs) I don't, of course. That's no longer socially acceptable in this day and age. But she pisses me off a lot. And this is the killer part. I cannot imagine my life without her. It would be so empty and so boring. And I hope to God she says the same thing. Life with her is so much more fun. Hellish as it is. (laughs) I mean, when you're with somebody like that, you definitely feel alive. Last night we nearly killed each other. Last night I hated her guts. And then this morning she woke up and she said, Hello, baby. And she gave me the most warm kiss and it was all over. And I was in love with her again. Hooray! La-di-da. I mean, she loves me. Life is good. Till the next time.
that I can't stand her. <laughs> oh, God bless her. Where do you think you will be in 30 years? Do you think you'll still be together? Oh, you can't ask me that question. I mean, I'm hoping for it. That's the only thing I can say. I mean, things can change in life. People can fall in love and out of each other. I know that I'm hoping for it. That's the most I could say. We can make each other laugh. In 30 years time, that would be also a nice connection we could have. I mean, he's definitely my love, but also my, my friend, my best friend, actually. And he makes me laugh. Those are, I think, important ingredients that uh, give hope for future. But I can't really definitely say we will be that years together. You can't say we have a yes or no answer from me. No, maybe. Hopefully, yeah. You've been listening to Jonathan and Ragana in From Brooklyn to Banja Luka. The program was produced by Dira Sujan for Radio Netherlands.